Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. And tonight we're going to give you an episode that I'm calling The Second Watch. In two days' time, we're going to be releasing the last podcast of the year, the top five movies of 1999. One of the movies that will not be on that list is the movie that we're going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive on tonight is Eyes Wide Shut, the Stanley Kubrick movie starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Uh the idea behind this is that you had not seen this, if I remember correctly, since 1999, Frank, when it came out? Yeah, since the night it released. Right, and what were your initial feelings on that? I hated it. Right, so... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I mean, it just... So I was pretty pretty in love with Kubrick, I guess, at that point. I mean, I probably would have told you he was one of my... I still might tell you one of like my five favorite directors, but at that point, just completely... I think the DVD box that had just come out of um like that first like clamshell box set with all of his movies so i had recently watched like everything and i guess at this point 99 it had been almost almost 20 years since a movie of his had come out like his last one before that's the shining right and that's 1980 no full metal jacket Oh, I always think of Full Metal Jacket being in the 70s, but right, that's like 83 or 84, right? 87 or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. like late 80s. Even so, like a long time Uh between him. Sure, absolutely. It's like 12 years. And super excited to see this movie when Mm -hmm. it came out. And so just annoyed and disappointed in like what ended up like, I don't know, being on the screen. Just, I, I don't know utterly perplexed at like what I had watched and it doesn't didn't feel like a Kubrick movie and I just I walked out of that theater like so angry I just hated that movie so much so I was actually pretty excited to watch it again because that's the longest I mean I've seen every Kubrick movie at least twice and a lot of those movies I've seen probably four or five times and some of them more than that so really excited to watch like almost for the first time again because it had been so long that I'd forgotten like almost everything about this movie. Right. Um, and I considered watching it last week before we finalized like what the 99 list was going to be because I was sure that, you know, upon second viewing, I would definitely want to put it in the top five movies in 1999. Uh-huh. Um, so it was, it was, it was an interesting experience watching yeah. it again. So the idea is I, I, I wanted Frank to watch this and then we decide on the 99 that uh, we were going to do these like uh, 89, 99 list and all these things. And then he was going to watch it anyway. Um, but I, I, I was going to have him do this regardless of, I wanted to do this idea of a second watch at some point. I figure since the timing's right, it's Christmas time. Um, we're doing the 99 list. It's like, this would be the perfect opportunity to have Frank there's watch some, it again. There's some synergy there. Force him to watch it again and kind of see, make him reevaluate his feelings about the movie. Um, since you have seen a lot of movies twice, you know, especially ones yeah. that you love, uh, you know, like, like major movies. Even so. some I don't love. You sure. Know? I mean, just, sure. Just happens sometimes. But. So, um, I'm not going to necessarily give a synopsis of this. I mean, like this being a deep dive, if you're listening to it, my guess is you've probably seen Eyes Wide Shut at some point in your life. So um, I kind of want to jump in. Okay, so you just watched it today? Yes. Okay, what are your what, what are your feelings now versus <clears throat> then? I don't hate it, I guess, <laughs> like I did then. Mm-hmm. I mean, my reaction wasn't as visceral. I feel more nonplussed, I guess, about the whole thing. Like, I definitely see a lot more merit in this viewing than I did the first time, but I also find myself having a lot of the same reactions, just not to as extreme a level so as I did. let me ask you this. Why do you think that you see more merit now than you did then? Is it the disappointment factor that you talked about of going to the movies to see it? And now, oh, I was... I, no, I was a projectionist at the movies. Oh, okay. Like I built this movie and watched it after, like I worked a shift and then watched this movie after. My sure. Shift. I just mean you were excited because you going to see a Kubrick movie yeah. and all that stuff. What do you think it was it not being what you wanted it to be and that disappointment is being removed from that you see more merit in it or do you see more merit in it for other reasons part of it could be that i've watched so many bad movies in the interim that 
it no longer. I, I've seen so much worse. I've seen much worse in the past two weeks. You've seen everything. <clears throat> yeah, it, yeah, I've seen it all. <laughs> it's too late <laughs> in many ways. Um, so it's kind of like my Bush analogy that I always use in the sense of like, you know, I hated Bush in the 90s, but now comparatively speaking, since I've heard so much more shit, like I actually kind yeah. of like Bush's seems better to me. I mean, I also, I don't know. I'm maybe I, I'd like to say my perspective has changed somewhat. My perspective has changed somewhat and maybe that's like softened. My reaction, but I still hate Tom Cruise continuously throughout this movie. You mean the character, like Bill Harford? I think that, I think the performance itself ranges from good to really good to really poor. Mm -hmm. And like almost cartoonish at times. Like I find it to be a, like a histrionic performance at times that I don't. So give me an example of a scene that you think is good and then like good to very good to really bad. I like his interaction with Domino, the prostitute. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good scene. I think his scene with Nick Nightingale in the jazz club is well acted. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some other like small things. You know what, honestly, like, him talking to the two women in the beginning of the movie, like, at the party, is actually, like, gives a lot of, like, nascent information about his character in that performance without beating you over the head with, like, it's it's subtle in the way that it's written and the way that it's acted, and it's actually, like, gives you a ton of things you need to know about, um, Bill that you like can then carry throughout the rest of the film. That stuff is good. And that's Tom Cruise just being Tom Cruise, I guess, in a lot of ways, like charming and somewhat reserved and still somewhat like that, you know, million dollar smile, like pretty boy, you know, playboy type. I don't know. Yeah. Even if he's reserved, there's an ego there. Yeah. Always. I mean, that's his whole character throughout the entire movie. Sure. Nothing but, like, completely self-unaware, like, ego in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. I mean, I understand that's the character. Sure. And I can separate the fact that I detest the character from the fact that I really dislike the performance sometimes. Mm -hmm. So where did you dislike it? I think that... I think that Nicole Kidman absolutely outperforms him in every scene they're in together. Absolutely. Where he feels, and again, this this might be on purpose, he feels like a complete dud of an actor. Like, it's, he's like a child, like, competing against, like, somebody who's just absolutely, like, 100% in that performance. Like, when they're, when they're smoking, smoking pot, in the bedroom and she first gets angry at him for not being willing to admit that he's been attracted to other women and then gets even more angry because she thinks he thinks the only reason that she won't fuck other men is basically because women are like somehow in, like less just sexual. genetically yeah. predisposed to be loyal whereas men are not and right then the whole thing right. with like talking about the naval officer and like it's just yeah. he's got there's a face that Tom Cruise makes when his character is supposed to be confused and angry and it just looks like devoid of thought and reason is like the only way I can describe it it's like confused robot look maybe like this is what like a computer thinks that like a confused person looks like cuz there's just no humanity to it it's so like extreme and it's also when he's sad he makes that same face and maybe that's because tom cruise to this point said never had a reason to be sad in his life (laughs) so he doesn't know like what that emotion is like and that happens later but it's just like he's so outclassed by her i mean do you think it's so his the strength of his performance relies on 
kind of some natural charisma and thriller aspect, like being starring in thrillers. Yeah. And, and, and like when he has to give real emotion that he falters. With the exception of Magnolia. Right. Where, he, for whatever reason, P.T. Anderson is able to get him to a completely different level of performance. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that, like, his best performance of his career is in Magnolia. And especially because it's the same year as this movie. Like, it really is such a counterpoint where, like, such an amazing, I would honestly say, like, almost Oscar-worthy performance in him and Magnolia. Oh, absolutely. As opposed to this, where you've got someone like Kidman who's giving you just this amazing range of, like, emotion and emoting and... The way she, like, moves her body and the way that she, like, moves her face and the way mm-hmm. that she just, like, really portrays someone who's both trying to, like, process something on an intellectual and emotional level and deal with the fact that she's high. And it's, like, such a perfect performance. And this idiot sitting there in his <laughs> underwear, like, with his mouth, like, slightly agape just running his hands through his, like, perfectly manicured, like, you know, moose hair. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so... And it's weird because early in the movie, I honestly think that, like, out of all of Kubrick's movies, this is... absolutely has the worst dialogue. And especially early on in this movie, I think the dialogue is very stilted. And maybe now that I'm starting to, like, talk about it a lot and process it, maybe it's on purpose. Because she comes off as being... Like, there's not much to her. Like, even mm-hmm. leading up through the dance with the Hungarian man at the party. Like, the scene that precedes this scene with them in the bedroom right. smoking weed. Mm-hmm. She feels flighty and kind of airheaded. And there's not much to her. And he feels like the grounded, weighted, you know, like, intellectual. And this scene that kind of, like, reverses that on right. his head. Where he seems like he's just kind of giving these honestly embarrassing platitudes to try and just like stop an argument yeah like he's just saying things that he's just saying them to say them yeah it's real and it's right so it's like that scene is probably the most important in the movie overall well right it's it it sets up the entire movie and that book ended with the final scene the toy store is probably like two of the the two most important scenes or sequences in it and so yet when he, I think she says to him, she asks him directly, "Do you think that that the idea it's the idea that men want sex and women don't want sex, so therefore women because they want sex less wouldn't cheat and have an affair?" And he says something like, "Well, that's a simplified version, but yes," and right. that's his thought process because he can't. And it goes to what you were saying. It sets him up early on as someone who women are attracted to. He's a doctor. She's out of work. Well, she's given up her job ostensibly because they have a child. Right. Or because the place closed. The place closed, but then now she's right. She's raising the child. And you think about it. The only scenes you see her in without him are the sequences where she's getting the child ready for school. She's um, helping the child study, do her homework. Yeah. Those are the only two that you see are outside of him at all. And in his fantasies of him thinking about her being with an naval officer. So it's like, she's been relegated to this role of mother in some way. So she's kind of a stay at home mom, not working right now. He makes good money. And in his mind, the real thing that's going on in his mind, besides the platitudes that you talked about, is that he is... He's a catch. How would any woman in the world want to have an affair and leave him? Right. And then, but he's offering these platitudes, like you said, and the most offensive one, the one that makes her start laughing at him where he gets really pissed. And that's when it really turns and he sees it as completely confrontational is when she says, so you only don't 
have an affair. You don't sleep with other women out of respect for me. And then that goes on and there's, and it ends up where he says like, it's not that like, you know, I don't think you would have an affair talking about her. Um, it's not that like, you know, I have a lot of faith in myself, which is untrue. We know deep down he does have a lot of faith of him in himself. I trust you. And it's that platitude where you you said earlier off air, like he's almost gaslighting her. And that's right. exactly yeah, what that is. Yeah. Is that I trust you. She sees it for what it is, which is that this guy's trying to bullshit her and saying like, oh, no, I tr- the reason I don't think you have an affair is because I trust you so much. It's like you could add like honey or baby after everything he says. Right. And... Um, it would have a better effect, probably. Well, because it's not about... And she laughs at him. She laughs in his face. It's not about him respecting her. Right. It's about him. Yes. And his feeling towards her. And that's, I think, what, like, really gets under her skin is that it's... Not because he respects her or because he has faith that, like, you know, in her own moral whatever. It's that he, like... No matter what I feel about, and, and it's just that his trust is there. I don't know. It's it, yeah. it, it, it's a slight distinction, but I think like that's the yeah. most important part of it. So, one of the things that like bothers me about that whole part, and again, I think that's probably the best scene in the movie mm-hmm. from an acting standpoint, mostly on her part. Yeah. There's a scene in Persona where Liv Allman is describing, um a sexual encounter with like two teenage boys on a beach. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly powerful and really uncomfortable and like almost like haunting the way it's described. And I feel like this is like almost a, like a companion to that, just in the way that she's describing like her feelings towards this Naval officer. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's an unfair comparison, but like, I think like them as contemporaries, Bergman and Kubrick, like I, I think there's some merit to it. I just don't feel like as much as good as Kidman is there. I don't feel like any of it really matters. Like it's all very. Because this is like, if you want to look at it from, I don't know, like a literary standpoint, this is like his hero's journey is him like going. That's exactly what it is. It's Odysseus. After, after this, this cat, the catalyst of this terrible, to him like conversation that makes him question sure his wife's fidelity and his own fidelity he goes out and has this dark hero's journey through the night where like he's forcing himself to be tempted and putting himself in positions where he can like Mm -hmm. you know be unfaithful right and it feels so unearned it's like nothing actually happened in that scene it's it's she didn't do anything she's just being honest Right. He's just an idiot. It's true. It's true. But I, I take, I look at it just slightly differently than you. Like I think we feel the same way about his character. Watching it this time, I, the so she tells him, okay, like, so he thinks so highly of himself, and she has that wonderful line. At least the delivery of the line is wonderful. Is like, if you men only knew, like. And she goes on to tell him about this fantasy about the naval officer. And that a, and she tells him the story about how a mere glance from this naval officer, all those things that he thinks, how could anybody leave me or like not want in this life? A mere glance from this guy, she was ready to throw it all away. And then I think the thing that devastates him, though, and I've used the term like psychically destroys him, as silly as it sounds, because it should be so obvious to like people like that women can have sexual desires and urges and those kind of things. The thing that destroys him is when she says after that fantasy and that night of wondering and having a panic attack when she woke up and because she didn't know if she was having panic attack because he was, she didn't know if he was gone or if he was still there and why that was panic was there. She says her love for him, meaning his like the Tom Cruise character Uh Her love for him was more tender and sad than ever before. That's what destroys him, is that he, she has turned him in the span of 
four five minutes into an object of pity. Right. Where he was like so high on himself five minutes ago before this conversation, and she has reduced him down to this object of pity that she could cheat on at any point and throw it all away. So to the psych so he's like psychically affected by this like this revelation which again is stupid he should people should know that like you know it's this it's this concept that he has this male ego that allows him to think that like oh well women aren't as sexual as men and like you know women wouldn't cheat and all these things so he he's living in a fantasy like think about the very begin like the very beginning of the movie the very beginning of the movie when they're getting ready for the party oh no that yeah that's so that okay so She's on the toilet, and he, she says, like, how does my hair look or whatever? And he's like, oh, it looks fine. She's like, you're not even looking at me. Like, he's living, he's not He's not seeing her. Well, no, but, so, okay, so that actually kind of bothers me when she says that. Mm-hmm. He obviously can see her because she's looking in a mirror, and she's standing right behind him. He's not looking at her straight on, but he can see her reflection. So, in in that sense, <laughs> like, that's really annoying to me because it's like, I don't know. Like, that... Maybe now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't bother me as much because maybe it's actually kind of clever. Right. Like, every engagement he has with her prior to that, any real, there, there's several times. So, there's that, which is like them, it's like a non-sexualized like intimacy. Mm-hmm. Like her using the bathroom in front of him. Sure, absolutely. After the party, when it's implied that they're like going to have sex with each other. They do it in the mirror, mm-hmm. and there's nothing, like, tender or erotic right. about it. It's just, yeah. like, right. it's like a Calvin Klein ad or something, almost, sure. where it's, like, these two very attractive, like, sculpted bodies, like, sort Absolutely. of, like, semi-embracing, and but th- they're in a mirror. And think about what happens in that scene. In, in a mirror, and what else does she do? Do you remember? No. She's wearing glasses, and she takes them off. Oh, right. Well, she does that too when they're going out to the party. Like she's Agre- wearing glasses. Agreed. And, and what does she do at the party? She has this flirtation. Like, yeah. I, I think the idea of mirrors and glasses are important. Like in the movie, and I think her take because why do you wear glasses so you can see better? And it's like you take glasses off so you don't see quite as well. And it's like it's almost like the idea of her having sex with him after that party where they both flirted with other people. Right. You know, he could be anybody. I, I I think it's like their sexual dynamic has lessened over the over the nine years to where it's like yeah there's this intimacy of like yeah him walking in the bathroom while she's on the toilet things that happen naturally through the course of you know living with someone for so right. long and but it, that does lessen at times like sexual component those kind of you know like sometimes and a lot of times in marriages those things you know lessen you know it's also interesting too because then the next morning. You see her naked as she's getting dressed. She's putting her bra on. Right. But then, like, it immediately cuts to her brushing her teeth with her daughter. And mm-hmm. it's, like, right the most, like, domestic yes. shot that you can have. Yep. And it's, like, taking you two steps away from, like, seeing, like, Nicole Kidman naked to just being, like, a mom, kind of. Sure. That's, I agree. <clears throat> and so, wh- how I see it is that he... Rather than accept the, the the reality, the rest of the movie, it's and I, I describe it as kind of like a joke, and that I think that rather than accept the reality, he delves further into the fantasy. The, the fantasy he has in his mind is that men are the sexual beings, women aren't the sexual beings, men are the deciders, for lack of a better term, like they're the power. So he goes into this fantasy of like going and trying to find a way to be unfaithful out of some sort of not only revenge, but as a way to prop up and enable the fantasy that he has in his mind that he's still the the one that is the attractive breadwinner and all yeah, these other things. You know what? It's like he's so dumb. It's like not even on purpose. Like he's angry at her and then he gets the call that it's he's unconscious that yes. his friend is right has died. Mm-hmm. So he goes there and the slightly older, attractive, but not like 
stunning, like, model-level attractive, like, someone like Nicole Kidman woman, like, kisses him and professes her love for him, and he pushes her off, and then has the interaction with the, with, with, with Domino, the prostitute, mm-hmm. where he's immediately like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. And then doesn't, because, mm-hmm. you know, his wife calls, and right. he's, okay, well, I can't do this now, and Still pays her because, mm-hmm. you know, he's rich and that's what he does is like, here's for your time. And then here's about the anonymity of it. So right. it's like basically like two stages removed from completely not anonymous, like someone that you know and have social interaction sure. with offering you sex. Right. To someone who's a, a streetwalker. A streetwalker, mm-hmm. but you still like, she's seen your real face. She's. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an area where, like, you frequent. Sure. So, that's a stage removed from, like, completely known, but still, like, sort of anonymous, but not quite so much. Mm-hmm. Especially because of the familiarity with them talking about each other right. and, like, whatever. To then, the third stage of that, which is finding out about this masked orgy. Right. That you can go to where you're wearing, you know, like, where no one knows your identity. And that's yeah. the thing that appeals to him, is right. that he can... And it's not even so much, I don't think, that he wants to cheat on her. It's, like, that he wants to, he wants to know that he can hurt her in the way that she hurt him. Right. But he's so bad at it. Like, he's so dumb. <laughs> right. Right. That This man that's, like, the, a, a profession that I think most people would argue is probably, requires, like, s- some of the most, I don't know, like distinct intellect and training and education to perform Mm -hmm. that he's such an idiot i mean he's just so yes and a lot of that's cruise too but like the entire time he feels like a like a 16 year old kid like right well he's completely out of his depth in any of this Right, except he's like, which shows to me that you said he was on, not he was not self aware, and I think it shows that the arguments that he's making to her in that scene where they're smoking pot, he truly believes that stuff. Like he 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 doesn't realize he's bullshitting himself. Right. He thinks that like the these things he's saying like are good arguments. <laughs> well, you're also still at a point, so it's you got to look at like the context of. When this movie was filmed, and so we, we've already talked about this a little bit, like, prior to, Hmm. like, recording, but, so he optioned this movie, like, 30-some years before. It's based on a Czechoslovakian or German novel, I can't remember, that was written in, like, the 50s, and he optioned it, because he wanted, had ideas to make it back then, and it just kind of sat, like, he just sort of, like, thought about it, and, until the 90s, when he decided to make it. So... There was a point where the general thinking societally was that men are sexual beings, men are aggressive, Mm -hmm. men are the ones that take, and women don't care about sex, they only care about settling down and producing a child Mm -hmm. and being nurtured by a man. So, where Tom Cruise's attitude seems distinctly like antiquarian like watching it in 2019 and i honestly think felt that way in 1999 mm-hmm. there still is some like historical i don't know precedent for people to think that way and you would think that being like an elite new york city doctor he might have a little more whatever like worldliness to him where he understands that that's not true but he obviously doesn't, right? And I and I and I, I think that's a that's a hope that you have, like that those that people like that can understand the very basic concept that women have agency and are sexual beings. But we're in 2019, and the world we're living in right now, it's become very obvious that there are still plenty of people who do not accept that to be a fact. But don't you think also just with this specific character with, with Bill Harford, his ego won't allow him to believe. And you said this kind of that anyone will want to have sex with anyone, but him. Sure. Yeah. And it's funny. So 
Nicole Kidman was like taller than Tom Cruise or mm-hmm. is taller than Tom mm-hmm. Cruise. And they were married at the time that they made this sure. movie. And it's funny to me that there are times where Kubrick will film Cruise to appear to be the same height, if not slightly taller than Kidman. And times where Kubrick films Cruise to appear noticeably shorter than Kidman. Like where they, they film them at like actual height as opposed to... Right. You know, Tom Cruise standing on a, like, phone book or something, whatever they... However they block it out. I actually didn't pay attention to that much, but... uh, It happens then. It also happens distinctly in the orgy scene when um, Mindy comes up and chooses him to try and save him, where 100% you can tell that she's significantly taller than him. I noticed that. And then there's other times where they're walking where they make them seem Mm. like the same height. So Mm. it's, it's interesting, and I don't know what Kubrick's doing there, the way that he, like... And I guess it, like, has to do with Bill's level of confidence and Bill's level of, like, feeling of dominance over another person as to how, like, tall Kubrick films him to be. I really... I should have paid more attention to that because I noticed it, like, immediately. Because early on, one of the first scenes where they're standing next to each other, I was thinking, like, yeah, I forgot Nicole Kimmel was that much taller than Tom Cruise. And then immediately they film them, and they're the yeah. Same it's interesting because he uses camera placement and slight angle to show his powerlessness. With oh, I can't remember the character's name, the Sidney Pollock character. Uh-huh. Like he he relies on much more um, traditional, just like placement on the screen and and angles to kind of show Julian. No, I can't. I can't. I can't remember. Um, I've already forgotten the name because uh, I don't think it's that important, but. So yeah, and and the thing is, I think at the end of the movie, he doesn't really learn anything. Like I think he's just this, just this fucking bl- blind. As when he, because his his immediate instinct is to come back and say like, "Baby, I want to be with you forever." Right. And she's still the one that's saying, "I don't like that word." Well, because, because she's the realist out of right. out of because the two. it's not an adult relationship emotionally. Right. At least not on his part. And I think that it's important that they're in a toy store when that's happening. Like, they're sure. surrounded by all these things. Right. That there's, like, people from um, Victor Ziegler. That's mm-hmm. yep. from Ziegler's party um, that are in the toy store with them. So, it's yeah. like, there's these people that, you know, whatever, are probably, like, agents of the same shadow, mm-hmm. super shadowy organization, whatever. Right. The, that's, that's the other stupid thing about it, too. And maybe it's, again, the fact that, like... We're 20 years removed from this movie coming out and, like, 50 years removed from when this, like, source material was written. But it's, like, the idea of a bunch of rich people, like, getting together in a mansion and, like, having an orgy is, like, it's almost, like, lame to me. Like, there's nothing shocking or sinister about that. I mean, if they were, like, sacrificing each other or there was, like, some other thing happening or even if there was, like, copious amounts of drugs being done. Yeah. But, like, they even, like... Ziegler even says, like, basically implies that, like, they're not about, like, that. Right. Like, they just want to fuck. hmm It's, like, the drugs, like, that's just something that happens, like, afterwards. Sure. And that that woman did that to herself. And you know what? I kind of believe them. I, I don't believe there's anything sinister about it. <clears throat> like, like, I think they were just trying to scare him to make him yeah, leave. Absolutely. And to make him not talk about it so they wouldn't have to, like, have this scandal. And it just so happened that she died. And they used yeah. her because... If you look, a lot of the YouTube videos that are out there are about... I don't mean to like, uh, impugn people like necessarily, but it's like tons of videos are out there about like, here's the hidden ways in which Kubrick is trying to reveal the Illuminati, like, you know, in Eyes Wide Shut. And I don't... I think... I, I said to you off air, is like, I think the orgy scene is just a mere plot device... Just like Fight Club is a plot device in Fight Club, like it doesn't, it's a part of the narrative, but it doesn't really matter. Like, this movie is about how two people in relationships deal with their own, like, their, their, their own mores, belief systems, and their own sexualities. And the middle of this movie, the journey, the odyssey, like that involves the orgy and the shadow organization and all that kind of stuff to me is like him going into the fantasy even further into his own mind down to the level of anonymous sex. Right. 
I and mean, then to me, and then coming back out of it with what the horrors of that could lead to, which like you know, I mean that like the girl as ends well, up Domino being HIV, AIDS, you right. know, HIV, right? Yeah, and it, but there's nothing erotic about it either. That's the other thing too. Is it's yeah. all very like, if it wasn't for the fact that like everyone's naked, it's almost like watching like the Age of Innocence or something like that. Like, sure, there's, there's no eros to any of it i don't think like there's it very very the only the only thing that honestly in the whole movie that i find to be erotic at all is her dancing with the hungarian man right like the interplay of them like their mouths like coming really close to each other and just like the lowness of their voices and the suggestiveness of their talk that is like a charged scene absolutely everything else is just like almost clinical like it's when he's given the breast exam to the woman mm-hmm. in his office right that's what everything feels like sure like it's never even when you're watching like the maybe it's just so ridiculous but you're watching like the cloaked mass people mm-hmm. like have sex mm-hmm. in like these rooms and stuff and there's nothing erotic about it it's just kind of boring and yeah and i think <coughs> i know i know I, I read ebert's review and ebert makes the point to he he takes aim at the uh MPAA uh because because Kubrick died what three months before this was released is that right three months after it finished three months after he finished rapping like filming so he wasn't involved in the editing of this and the MPAA um initially those scenes had genitalia in the orgy and the right. MPAA I, I, was, I remember this when was, it happened. was going to give them an NC-17. Right. They had to digitally add cloaked figures in front of... Sure. And statues to yeah. almost to the point where I think... Yeah, I think as Eber said something like how it like ends up being this like, you know, slightly more artistic version of the Austin Power scenes. Um, and he takes aim at the MPA saying, obviously this movie like wasn't... Is never for kids. The subject matter itself. Like... Um, and if Kubrick probably would have lived, he would have left it in and, uh, just took the NC-17 probably for it. But I think regardless of that point, like this idea, even if you had real genitalia, your point would still be the same. Like that it doesn't change. Anything. It doesn't change anything. Like it's, it's the, it's the way it's, I just want to kind of clarify your point. It's the way that they film it overall. Right. Like, you know, it's like, cause he's a voyeur. Like, and it's also, world. it's. It's, it's illustrated in the fact that when they're walking him out and he's walking through the room where all the people are dancing mm-hmm. and it's cloaked figures dancing with like naked mass people. It's all, there's nothing. Again, they're like, they're waltzing. Right. It's not like right. grinding or like anything erotic. It's like, there's a dude dancing with another dude, but mm-hmm. they're just like waltzing with each other. And then there's sure. a woman dancing with another woman, but like mm-hmm. none of it is. And it's almost like his, like, own, like, puerile, like, childish fantasy about what this stuff is like. You know, what, like, anonymous sex and infidelity Mm -hmm. is like is, like, very... It's, you know, we talked about this in the... um, I can't believe this is going to come up during this conversation, but... um, During our Phantasm conversation about the way that, like, Mike perceives Reggie... Like having sex with a buxom woman, and she's sure. like still wearing her like her shorts mm-hmm. when she's grinding on top of him because he doesn't understand like right. And that's almost like Tom Cruise too. Is yeah. like everything to him is just about how good he looks, yeah. like how good it looks when it's happening. Yeah. Which is why, like the counterpoint to that is you know when he's imagining her having sex with a naval officer, um. It still is like a fucking Chris Isaac video. It's like there's sure. he's not really imagining like it's just right. Well, he, I don't know. He, he can't really because that's why I said because to some degree it's it's really just a fantasy. Yeah, he, he he's he's going into the fan. He's retreating into a fantasy because he's trying to process and keep in and 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 keep himself keep keep the thoughts that he had about men and women the same. And as he delves into those and plays them out in his head, I'm not saying it's all fantasy, like, you know, like all in his mind, but as he plays those things out and gets down to the level finally of anonymous sex, which has no strings attached to it whatsoever. That's only, that's when he starts figuring out like how, what the horrors of that could be. Like, where does that lead? 
And to the point where he's broken at the end of it. Like, he's... There, there's no solution to it. his class doesn't get him anywhere. No, well, his, because his, he finds out that his class isn't even classy enough to right get him to the table. His occupation doesn't get him anywhere. You know, his sex appeal doesn't get him anywhere. You know, um, that leads to potentially anonymous sex leads to HIV. So it's like no, it doesn't get him anywhere. Um, he just has to learn to accept the idea that um, of what she said is the truth and. I don't even think he does that at the end. I think the idea that he goes back to her and like he he still isn't seeing that or maybe he does. I mean maybe the idea that he commits to her and wants to be with her forever is now a lessening of his power to the, that acknowledging at least that she could leave him so now he's trying to hold on to her. I don't believe I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't I know. believe I I believe it's just like like you talk about like classic like abusive relationships where the man does something like terrible and then it's like oh it'll never happen again yeah. like I'll never leave you I right. I want to be like with you and only you until the next time that you know yeah. and she's at least like worldly and adult enough to understand mm-hmm. that like right. let's not make these promises just because like we're afraid right now sure let's, right just be happy that yeah. we've survived. I mean, that's happy that's, that we survived and hope now that it's out in the open. Right. We can improve. Yeah. Um, but she didn't succeed. I mean, she, I don't know, whatever. He's just so, it, it's, it's such <laughs> like, I, I hate his character so much. Yeah. And again, there's like, there's scenes where it, he's, his performance is just so bad. Yeah. Like specifically in the Sydney, in the, when he, when Victor summons him to kind of tell him like, you know, this was your warning and you need to back off and mm. you know, your friend is fine. Like nothing had bad happened to mm. Nick, but like, don't let anything, you know, just, just drop it. Right. Um, it's just, it's, it's so, I don't know. There's a lot going on in that scene. And I honestly, one of the things that I dislike about this movie is you you can tell that Kubrick. There's a lot of a lot of differing opinions on whether or not Kubrick like honestly finished this movie or mm-hmm. not, and there's people that are related to Kubrick and including Cruz and Kidman who were like really close to him at this time, who say that this is the finished film, right? But editing wise and just the way that it like the way it flows, it doesn't feel like a Kubrick movie as much to me. But there's a lot going on in that scene when he's in Victor's, like, study. Mm-hmm. The way the camera moves around and the way it, like, not only, like, follows Cruz, but kind of, like, comes to rest certain times with different things, like, in the shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, like, I was curious, like, watching it, like, if there's more there than just, like, a rich man's study. Like, if you're supposed to take more out of it. But... The reason I couldn't think about it as much is because Cruz's performance is so fucking bad during <laughs> yeah. that scene. Right. There's definitely a lot going on, I think. And it probably, at some point in my life, deserves one more watch for me just to kind of, like, look for those things. Because I think there is a lot going on from a filmmaking standpoint that Kubrick's doing. And I, I only say that because the early scene where... Um, uh, Victor and him and Mandy, when she's OD'd, uh, are in there. There's a lot of stuff with the way... I noticed there's stuff with the way genitalia is... you Like, like uh, Victor and stuff. Like, shots where his crotch is in the shot and stuff like that that I think are purposeful. Like, depending on what's being said and stuff mm. like that. And I, so I think there's stuff also going on in the study. Not in the sense of what the Illuminati conspiracy people, right. like, look at that study and say, like, oh, this means this. Like, I, I just think there's stuff that's, like, on a power dynamic level that's happening. And, like, that's kind of speaking to what we're talking about is this plot, the real plot of the movie, which is about the relationship. Well, listen, he's... He's leaning against his pool table. He's got the balls. Sure. Tom Cruise doesn't have any. Sure. He's pouring drinks that Tom Cruise isn't drinking, and like he's like yeah. drinking out of his whiskey tumbler. I, the the one thing I noticed that I find 
So a lot of this was filmed, almost all of it, like I think exclusively was filmed on sets. Like they basically recreated Soho. Oh, right, because Kubrick d- refused to leave England after all. Yeah, it was, that, point, I, I can't remember yeah. the name of the, the famous yeah. um, studio uh-huh. that's over there. But they basically built like four city blocks on, sure. on a set. Sure. To recreate Soho. And and you and you see it at times when the cars are driving on the wrong side of the road. It also feels fake to me because he's yeah, walking it, past it the same like sure. three stores. Oh, and those stores, all a lot of those stores have names that are like related to um like sexual stuff. Right. Like, you know, and everything. Yeah. They do. And he also is in like a sex district. Sure. At yeah. one point when he's down by Rainbow, like yeah. to buy his um to rent his costume. That's another weird thing in the movie too that I guess maybe the it's that he's placing way too much importance on sex. And it's a really yeah. weird counterpoint because like, you know, Millich when he goes to rent the costume is like locking the two Asian sure. men in who have been propositioned right. by his daughter, his teenage daughter. Sure. And then the next morning he's, he's basically like, his daughter like pouring out his daughter sure. to anybody. Yeah. Um, which but, is I, on, but, but that's on the other side of like the right the, when he's come back out and sure. now like yeah it means a lot less than he thought it meant the night right. before sure i don't know maybe that is maybe it's a better movie than i give it credit for it's just i don't know it, it feels like such a mess like i think i think you're exactly right on the writing like i think the writing at times is pretty weak I think sometimes it's fantastic. I think it's really strong, and then there's other times where yeah. I think the writing's really weak. It's very, it's very uneven. Yeah, and 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 I think you're right about Cruz's performance, but ultimately, when I told you I want you to watch this again, is one is fucking with you a little because I I, I know in all these years how much you've said you hate that movie, mm-hmm. but my only point was I think there's more going on in that movie because I have also not seen it since 1999 until now. Like this, I saw it in the theater and. Like, that's the only time I ever saw it. But I've always sensed there's more going on and being older would give me a little bit more insight into that movie. And that's why I wanted you to have it watch it. So do you at least admit, can I get you to admit that there's more going on than you thought? Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, and I said this to you when we first talked about tonight, when we were talking about what we were going to talk about in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't tell you I hate this movie anymore. Yeah. yeah. I just don't particularly find it interesting. Sure. And... I think, I think there's a lot of things that Kubrick does that are, as individual components, interesting and worth like analysis. But overall, I don't think the movie means anything, and I don't particularly care about what the movie's trying to say. Yeah. And I that might also be because, again, we've come 20 years past that point, and there's been plenty of movies made about, like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to, I, I was trying to think, so I was sitting there watching this movie and I was trying to think like what other movies have been out that examine like relationship dynamics that are more powerful or more important or have more immediacy than this movie. And I thought about Blue Valentine. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but that's mm-hmm. a pretty good movie from like the early 2010s. No, I never seen That's it. about like the, the disillusion of a relationship between like two people. Right. Um, and it's really good. And... I can't really think. I I know there's others that have come in between. I, I would have to give it like a lot more thought. But it's just like I again I think another one of the problems too, I think, is that you cast two people that were in that were married to each other. Sure. To like be in this movie. And I'm not sure if I don't know if that, like, maybe that he did it on purpose because he wanted people that were <clears throat> so intimately familiar with each other that it would almost be like, there's no, there's so such familiarity that maybe it would come across, like, on screen. I think, I, th- I think that's <coughs> certainly one thing, and I think the other thing is that I think there's a little bit of stunt casting that went into it um, in the sense that here's two beautiful well-known movie stars one of the most famous couples in the world at the time and nobody knew anything about their life and we know now that's more about the scientology stuff but at the time like 
the the exposés on Scientology hadn't quite been as pronounced as no, they were. No, not at all. Like there was some talk about it, like you know, but 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 not much. And I think people were very curious about that relationship. So in a little ways, I think he was capitalizing on the unknowns of that relationship by putting them in this sexually charged movie. Um, and but I also think probably you're right, hoping on like their real life intimacy to show on screen. But you also have you're also taking the number one movie star in the world at that point. I mean, I think Cruz had been in like five or six straight movies at this point that were like number one at the box office. Sure. And was generally considered to be like one of the more bankable Sure. And Nicole Kidman is at this point an indie darling. Yeah. So yeah. And Tom Cruise's wife, like he's right. Like, I don't sure, know. sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I think there's a lot of substance to this movie, and I think that it's, I think it's a better movie than I even gave it credit for at the beginning of the podcast. Um, but I still just like, I don't know. It's it's like, it's like watching a movie like Sideways to me. It's like mm-hmm. I can appreciate the artistry of it, but I just I don't give a fuck, right, about that story, you know, or like watching like. Like, shit, even, like, fucking Garden State has more, like, emotional import to me in it, like... Emotional. I agree. Than this movie. But I think you're supposed to... I don't think, I don't think there's any... I don't think you're supposed... I, I think this is... I think this is purely an intellectual exercise. And like I said, I think there's an element of it that it's a joke. Like, I think it's a joke at the character of Bill Harford's expense. Yeah. Like that's how I view this movie is like Bill, this... Bill Harford and any other like semi elitist Absol- like well, man who's I think any man right I, that's why I think that's the importance of that line if you men only knew yeah is I think it's any man who holds the beliefs that uh, that Bill Harford believes you know I mean and like I said like I I think that um because sex at this point like for a lot of people. And I can't remember. I think it's Ebert's review that he mentions it, but I could be wrong. But it's like 1999, like sex is everywhere in the 90s. You know, we have the president being impeached then because of, you know, having sex in the Oval Office. So I, I, it's, it's everywhere. So it's even then like sex kind of like as this like cultural thing is kind of passe, but there's still, we know now, like, there's still this, like, belief. And, and some of it, it's like, some of the things that Bill believes are things that just go along with the idea of male ego. And most men, to some small degree, have a little bit of Bill in them. Yeah, that's probably true. They're not as, I think. I would hope we're not as stupid. I, I agree. I don't think most are as dumb or, uh, and a lot have a lot more self-awareness than Bill. But a lot don't. Again, I think from I think from the past three years, we've seen that there's a plenty that still don't have those right, you know, um, thoughts. So, uh, so yeah, I, I do I do think this movie's still relevant um, in a lot of ways, and um, I don't know. At least my reading of it is, I I, th- I think it's a pretty strong critique of male privilege. Yeah, like I, I mean, think it's a little prescient, maybe. Like, I'm fine with that. And it's a fine movie, again. Yeah. Like, I didn't hate it. Yeah. Still my least favorite Kubrick movie. Hmm. I would watch any other Kubrick movie over this. Hmm. I'd have to think about that more, but yeah, I'm not sure. No, you're not a fan of Full Metal Jacket. I'm not. Although, I think the first half of that movie's eh. so good. <laughs> I'll watch I mean, that yeah, again. it is. Someday you're going to make... Second half of the movie's really good, too. Yeah. That's that's where we've always disagreed. But someday you're going to make me watch that again. And... Well, you're... I love war movies, so to me, and I like, don't. Yeah. the second half of that movie is like almost maybe the most perfect pure war film ever made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to make me watch it again someday. So yeah, we'll, maybe we'll, my mind will change. Like maybe I'll find like, a way to again. I haven't watched that movie since I was Frank since I was 15, probably years old. I mean, like a lots lots changed in that time. You know, maybe I'll see things that I didn't see before, but. But okay, I'm glad that you liked it a little bit better. Yeah. Didn't still just absolutely hate it. So uh, that's that's at least some yeah. some kind of positive. I mean, uh, I, I it was it was engaging. Yeah, I didn't fall asleep watching it. Yeah, I didn't even take a break watching it. I yeah. watched it straight. I thought through. it went through pretty 
pretty quickly at a pretty, you know it's pretty weird brisk, because brisk pace. I could if you would have asked me yesterday how long this movie was, I would have told you it was like over three hours long. Right, and I was really surprised when it was only like two and a half hours long. Yeah, like and it didn't feel like two and a half hours. It like, didn't. It felt like it went yeah. by at a brisk pace. Sure. So and I, that was one of my biggest complaints leaving the theaters. Like yeah. I felt like I was in that theater. For like four hours watching that movie, yeah. when it first came out, and I think it's because actually visually it's a lot more comp- it's pretty compelling actually, like like the the way the scenes are crafted. Yeah, but still not as I don't know. It's just you think of something like fucking Barry Lyndon or even like two thousand and one or like any of like that middle era of his greatest works, and it's nowhere near as visually right. compelling or captivating as any of that stuff. Sure. And again, I firmly believe that if he would have been given an extra three months, if he could have lived, right, it would be a much tighter, tauter, more interestingly edited film than what you eventually got. I agree. Yeah. Is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, lot, lot of Christmas trees. Yeah. A lot of presents. What are your feelings on that though? Just like as like kind of like a final like little like a like off topic addendum here is like, do like was we were we briefly talked about it out, out uh, like when we were here like right before the podcast and it was like um you were I think it seemed like you were saying that you did you said Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie it is right? not and it's really annoying just because a movie is set during a certain like time of the year doesn't make it a blank movie right like a Christmas movie is about Christmas it's right. not just like Christmas is the yeah. You know, the backdrop to something. Uh-huh. Like, this movie is set at Christmas, number one, I think, because of the aesthetic of the lights, and there's a really... One of the one of the better scenes in this movie is when... It's before he's... Right before he sees the mask on the bed. Another terrible performance by him is him collapsing on top I of her. Completely agree with that. And weeping. Yep. Awful. Yep. Agreed. Um, right before that, he walks in and he's disheveled and he goes and he turns the light off on the Christmas tree. And it's the first time that the Christmas tree has been turned off in their house. And it's almost like a signifying that the chapter's finished, that it's like over. And I think the Christmas element, the fact that it takes place at Christmas time, is just because Kubrick liked the idea of like all these various like lights and colors that they could use to like, and even like the wrapping paper and the presents, mm-hmm. like just the aesthetic of it. I think because he decided to do like, especially because so much of that stuff was going to take place at night. Yeah. Like that, I think when he decided to do high contrast, I think he was thinking of like how good lights would look in that style and like um the only place actually without christmas is is the orgy scene like there's no christmas stuff um and i i I think that um i mean i'm sure there's other reasons why christmas is like important to like the story to some degree it's it's a wholesome family holiday and here's a man sure sure. going on like a walkabout sexual walkabout well a failed right you know during like this wholesome time and Okay, well that um that went longer than I had anticipated about Eyes Wide Shut. I was thinking this would be a little nice little year end bonus half hour episode and um that was longer than I thought we would talk about Eyes Wide Shut. So I'd count that as a little bit of a victory too, um about this movie of having more to say about it than uh, yeah. I than you might have thought. So um I hope you enjoyed our discussion about Eyes Wide Shut. Um, like I said, I just, just wanted this to be kind of like a little bonus episode and addendum to kind of the 99 episode that we will be releasing in two days' time. So um, thanks for listening. Oh, you got Can one I say thing? one more thing, too? Yeah. Okay. Just about the dialogue, because this really bothered me. <laughs> right. The use of the word fuck as a verb yeah. in this movie feels like it's being used by people that have never had sex before. Like, it is the stupidest dialogue in using the term fucking or fuck, where it just feels like, like, little, like, children, like, being able to, like, curse because their parents aren't around. I un- I do understand what you mean. I think it's a bad ending to the movie. Like, like, her, her like, the way she says yeah. it. Like, I also think the dream that she tells him, like, 
because she it's really weird how she actually like and i don't know where the, this conversation is not going to go anywhere because i don't have an answer to it like it's just a question it's like there's time she says making love and then time she says fucking She's she intersplices it sometimes in the same. She does in the dream sequence. She talks yeah. about like making love to the naval officer. No, it, she's making love, and then she looks around. And there's everybody's fucking around her, and then, and then all of she's a sudden, fucking. Everybody's fucking her. Right, right. Anyway, I just hate the way that right. that word is used, and it's just, right. every time I like. It wasn't even like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. This is so edgy. It's like, oh my yeah. god, man! Like, yeah, fucking stop being a child. Well, of course, I hate I hate the phrase making love. Because I think that's childish. Um, does it remind you of like one life to live or it kind of yeah, it does. Um, you know, yeah, kind of like something along those lines. Like would you watch Young and the Restless? Young and the Restless, Young and the Restless, Restless watched, yes. Yeah, which that'll be our next year's bonus episode Shit. is the when we watched an episode of the Young and the Restless. So all right. Thank you for listening, everybody, and please check out the um, best of nineteen ninety nine episode in a couple yeah. days. All right, good night.